we want to take a moment and just pray for the Middle East. And then we want to share a couple slides because we said we're going to continue from last week um, in terms of some history on Israel. So we're just very quick to go forward. So Jesus, thank you for each person here today. Thank you that you give us faith. And your word tells us that it's you, Jesus, that keeps us believing day in and out, 24-7. And thank you, Jesus, that you can handle anything that would come in the form of doubt from us to you. And so may it be that this morning that you would impart more faith to us that our doubts would become less. And faith cometh through hearing and hearing your gospel, hearing your holy word. Lord, it's with thanksgiving of who you are and the attributes that you have that we don't possess that we want to pray for the Middle East. We want to pray for uh, uh, anyone that's a part of Hamas to come to know you as Lord. You tell us and. John 14, 6, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. So we pray that would be, would be learned, would be internalized um, by that group. We pray for the Palestinians, Lord, those who, are, who can't get out of the way of harm and that are being harmed. We pray for their recovery. We pray for their salvation. We pray for them to find refuge in you. And Lord, I know that there are Christians on the ground in all of those places. Strategically help them to move safely and uh, to get people out of harm's way. And Lord, may your will be done as it, as it is and says in Scripture and help us along the way to pray for Israel, to know that they have a future. And uh, we're just praying that some of these other people would come to know you and have a future. And finally, we pray, Lord, for... Um, uh, for those who are, who are in Israel and, and those that uh, are relying on the Old Testament and the Old Covenants to, to bring them into the, the new kingdom. And you tell us that that's not possible. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that uh, 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 Jews all around the world would come to see that uh, you are the fulfillment uh, as prophesied in Malachi and, uh, and John the Baptist. And that, Lord Jesus, people would recognize you as king and as Lord. In your precious name we pray, amen. So with that in mind, I like to do a funny. Whoever stole our AC units, keep one. It's hot where you're going. Now, we like to be grace-driven. So, so we wouldn't have that on our sign. Uh, we, you know, we would say, come in first, let us help you with, you know, paying the bill, and, you know, we'll put a collection together for an AC unit and do that. Uh, uh, that's just being grace-driven. Jesus came full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. In that order, grace and truth. You ever try to approach someone with just Truth without grace? <laughs> Let me know how that works for you <laughs> after you get away from the, uh, from the altercation. Okay, so, uh, yeah, that's kind of funny. Um, why Hamas attacked Israel? So last week we talked about this. I know you can read, so I'll let you uh, look at that slide. 
And we talk through Revelation 12, 3, and 4. Talk through about um, uh, Hagar and Sarai and the kids that they birthed. Kid of the promise and not a kid of the promise. But here, the popular answer, which the Palestinians agree with. Hamas believes that Israel is occupying land that belongs to the Palestinians. And I'll show you why in just a few moments. They want to take back the land for Islam. Again, I'll show you why. However, the Jews were living in this land 2,600 years before Islam was ever a religion. And that's, that's more like 21, 2,200 years. I made a, a change last night, but I forgot, Jonathan, to, to make that change on that slide. But the Jews were living in this land like 2,200 years before Islam was ever a religion. If you don't want to look at the Bible, though, look at some key artifacts. Say this word with me. Steely. Steely, yeah. In the archaeological record, a stele is a stone or a wooden slab generally taller than it is wide, erected in the ancient world as a monument. So look at these two steles here. There's an Egyptian stele from the 13th century BC that marks Israel by name and their land, and a 9th century BC Canaanite stele that communicates King David as king of Israel. So we got, we've got artifacts outside of the Bible. And it's just, it's just um, it's something that people struggle with believing. And um, I've got a lot of friends that say, oh, good people. Even if they don't have Jesus, they go to heaven. God, God's not going to condemn them. Which God are you talking about? And so Jesus, God... Well, he says there's one way. So that exclusivism, I didn't make that up coming to church this morning. <laughs> That's in his word. It's pretty exclusive. I believe John 6, 44, he, he knocks on everyone's door. We've got to let him in and, or not because I know a lot of us can think, ah, there's a better way to do it. I'll figure it out. And if I haven't figured it out when I'm 70, I'll come to Christ. I don't think you will. I think you're tricking yourself. <laughs> and you may not make it till 70. Uh, only God knows how many days we have. How did Israel's land get confused with Palestine? This is the weird one. This is the weird one. Hadrian, born 76 AD, ruled as a ruler in the Roman Empire. In the Roman Empire, okay? Think of that leader. Think of that emperor. In AD 135, to squash a Jewish revolt... He looked to disrespect the Jews by renaming their area of Jerusalem. Because the Jews had several occasions that they revolted. They stood up to the Romans. Okay? And it, was, uh, it doesn't usually end well. <laughs> it just doesn't at all. But that's what he did. So check this out. He renamed it in Latin, Palestina. Okay? A term for the Philistines an enemy of the Jews, to respect them. Or to disrespect, excuse me. Thank you, to disrespect them. And so you think, well, wow. This then led to the name Palestine from A.D. 135 to 1947. That renaming 
held in stone. So if you were a Jew in Palestine in that land, and we saw the land that was afforded to Israel given by God in Genesis, it was grandiose. They never occupied uh, all of it, but in the future, uh, uh, we believe that they will. So, so what's, what's interesting here is, is Jews living in that land, um, during this time, if, if they were to be, have babies and, and have uh, birth other children, they would have a Palestinian birth certificate. And, uh, and that was up until 1947. So think about that. That's, that's just, whoa, whoa. So actually, well before the Roman domination, the Jews were already displaced going back to 586 BC when the southern kingdom, Judah, took apart uh, the last of the tribes. And really, it was all the tribes again because they kind of reestablished themselves. After Assyria took them out in 722 BC, they, they kind of recongregated in the southern kingdom. Then they got annihilated, kicked out, 86. Um, because they were just selfish, they weren't willing to help people that were poor. I mean, that's really one of the things, plus idolatry, plus a, uh, a list of other things. Before 586, the Jews lived in their land for almost 1,000 years. So we really don't see a problem with, with, with whose land it is. But that's us coming from a biblical worldview. By the way, in like four weeks, we start a biblical worldview series where you'll learn all the current uh, worldviews that people outside of our doors possess. Even if they say they don't, you just hear them talking. You go, oh, you believe in secular humanism. Okay. You know, and then you can minister to them. That's coming in a month. Stay tuned for Jonathan's beautiful slide and PowerPoint because it's coming. Um, from 586 B.C. to 1947, Jews were dispersed, killed oppressed and taken over by the following empires. Now, on this list, look at this list. It's like, oh, my gracious. It was like, it was like oh, my goodness. The Jews were displaced and displaced and displaced and displaced and displaced. I mean, you think, they've had a rough time. That's rough. And so before that, let's see here. The Babylonians, because I don't have that little time period. Babylonians took out the southern kingdom. Then Persia took out the Babylonians. Then the Greeks, the Greeks took out Persia. Okay. Then the, then, um, then the Romans took out the Greeks, which leads us to here. Okay. So as you look through these periods, gracious, they're, they're quite long. Let me show you where the glimpse of hope comes in. British Empire. Thank the Lord for the Brits. Look what they did. The Belfort Declaration in 1917. When Britain publicly pledged a national home for the Jewish people. However, in 1922, one family opposed it. And the land was cut way back. Anybody know the name of the family that opposed it? That was able to, to take away the Belfort um, declaration cut 77% of the land that was supposed to give, given to them in 47. Anybody? Maybe, maybe I understood it as Hussein. Hussein. Not the Saddam Hussein, but uh, actually the Hussein family that's still in power today. And so uh, over there. But this is what happened. 
And then we've got state of Israel established. And that didn't come easy. That's, that's, that's another part of a war that, that people have all sorts of trouble with because they had to fight for the land that was given to them. Okay, so here's what happened here. Look at this. So we've got in that Belfort Declaration, it was supposed to be all of this in 47. But one family, the Hussein family, caused it to cut back to only this, to only that. And so you think, whoa, they've, they've gotten the short end of the stick Israel has, ongoing and ongoing. Whew. Please process these facts as we close here for this part. 22 Arab, 22 Arab states, 54 Muslim states, and one Jewish state. How has it that Israel has survived? We know, supernaturally. So God bless you, and thanks for listening to those, those history. We are praying for the Middle East, and we'll continue to update as, as we see it relevant uh, to biblical uh, times. Hey, so we've got um, an outline that came out late uh, due to my fault. I, um, I, texted, uh, I texted the person that copies this so wonderfully and faithfully um, only four hours late. Um, and uh, so I mixed, I messed things up. So, but uh, did everybody get one or do you need one? If you have a white one and you want a green one because it just looks fancier when you go to lunch somewhere and people might be curious about why you have green paper. No? Okay. That's okay. Your choice. Philemon. It's, it's in the New Testament. It's one chapter. It's... I think it's 23 or 25 verses. We're going to go as far as, I think, verse 20. But you'll go, hey, that's enough. <laughs> that's enough. Verse 20, that's plenty. <laughs> Sunday morning. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, time to eat. Um, so some people say Philemon. But, it, but it's, it's Philemon. Uh, the best we can do from historians, it's, it's Philemon. And uh, check this out, though, first. Lord, help us to be the people our dogs think we are. It's so great. It's so great. Hi. Hi. Come on. Come on. Sit. 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 Stay. Stay. You want a treat? Want a treat? Roar. You know, I just, I got it down. I'll bring you a video. Okay, probably need to see it. Um, anyway, but she's, you know, she's a great Dane. A miniature great Dane, but she's still a great Dane. And um, she's full gray, five years old and completely gray. It's like, wow, there's a movie about somebody who starts kind of older and then gets, is that, is that, is that, it makes me think of that. I didn't see it, but it just, I've, I've heard about that. Hey, our cast today, something different. The Apostle Paul wrote in, writing from a Roman prison around AD 60 or 62. Um, I, Sean, you'll appreciate this, um, Sean. N.T. Wright says, um, he thinks Paul was in Ephesus. And Ephesus is a lot closer. Um, and you're going to see why that makes a difference in a minute. But it's, it's, most people say Roman prison. But Paul was imprisoned. Um, oh, fiddle. Philemon, a wealthy leader of, in the Colossae church, probably one of two of the house churches in Colossae. 
There could have been four churches in, in Colossae. Um, no one seems to know. There could have been like a district manager, kind of like they have at like Papa John's. <laughs> they have a district manager that comes in, and he kind of is over the, the territories. <laughs> it could have been something like that, but they met, in, they met in houses. They met in house churches. And they did that till about A.D. 250, before buildings came in. So it was all house churches. So they were small. They were small churches. So we don't know if Philemon was just hosting a small group, which was a church, was the Colossi church, or his own. We just don't know. Um, but that was probably way too much information. Uh, Aphia, probably uh, the wife of Philemon, probably. So most conservative scholarship is what we just uh, look at here. Archippus, Philemon's son, or officer in the church, who was also active in the church. And Onesimus. Say Onesimus. Onesimus, yeah. Philemon's runaway slave, who may have taken items from Philemon before leaving. Got that from verse 18 and 19. So he was a slave. And you're like, Bible slave? That doesn't seem right. Well, let's talk about slavery in the first century just really quick, and you had that in your notes. A slave in the Roman-dominated first century, approximately 10 to 25% of the 65 million Roman population engaged as slaves. Now, this is why that number is so high. It's not the same as the American slavery that, that we read about and know about, that we struggled with in the 17 and 1800s that was uh, race-driven. By the way, there's a song. There's a song. It's, I think it's, is it, it's the third verse. Is it, Oh Holy Night, that where they talked about slavery and they, and they, and they talk about disbanding slavery? Can you look that up really quick and, and see if it's right? Because we're going we're gonna to read it out loud. Because you're going to see the Bible. The Bible moved in people's lives, ultimately, ultimately, to say this. This is inhumane. This is not Galatians 3.28. <laughs> oh, my gracious. Slaves could have been a product of war. Someone being orphaned. Someone who owes a debt. Or a professional, an attorney or a doctor. Could have been one of them. Looking to have their basic provisions provided. Because it was a, it was a stable family unit. They had one another to depend upon. And they had, they had the social uh, support there. But here, look at this. It was still inhumane and definitely wrong. And look at this. There were steep consequences if slaves rebelled. And Onesimus, who was Philemon's slave, he rebelled. Probably stole some money. Took off. So you go, what? This is, this is interesting. Did you get that, that verse? Is it, does it, is it talk about it? Okay, nice, nice, nice and loud. So this is something that came much later. But this, this is, remember, for, for American slavery, transitioning out and saying, no mas, no mas. Um, the Bible, the Bible, listen to what this writer did, took from this, uh, this French origin writer. Sure, and if you sing it, we'll even be more blessed. <laughs> All oppression 
and we'll sneeze. Because then you go deeper in your faith and so do I. 
So anyway, fellowship and partnership. I pray that the sharing, the fellowship, the partnership of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is for us or for us uh, for the sake of Christ and in us for the sake of Christ. Does that sound like a good trade-off? You want to know the good things you have in Christ? I want to know the good things that we have potential to have in Christ. I want to know it. I bet you do too. So let's see what it says. But first, let's pray. Jesus, uh, we're going to go through some slides. And I pray that all walls will be down so our hearts can receive from you the blessing that changes the way we do life and think and influence others. So Holy Spirit, you make this come to life. You convict hearts. And you make changes where we would be able to see every good thing we have in you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. So as we go forward, look at verse 6, and I pray the sharing, or some may say fellowship, the partnership of your faith may become effective in full knowledge. Okay, let's take this apart here. Paul lets us know that the Greek word for sharing, I crossed it out. I don't like it. I don't think it's as relevant as the other ones. Partnership and fellowship translations is koinonia. Say koinonia. It clearly means partnership and even better, fellowship. So now if we go back, it's the fellowship. <laughs> it's the fellowship. That scares you. If you rely on, on uh, uh, notes and then it goes blank, it's like, ah. Did you sing that song again, Gary? But start, no, I'm just kidding. But, um, but, you know, like, what am I going to do? No, just, just a, kind of thing I panicked about. Okay, so, uh, so yeah, so no sharing. So, so I pray that the, the fellowship of your faith, the partnership of your faith may become effective for a full understanding of every good thing. So let's take that apart. Let's go forward, forward here. Partnership and even better fellowship. Check it out. Paul says, Philemon, say Philemon. Give of yourself to these people who are meeting in your home. It's a church that's meeting in your home. You may be pastoring them. You may not be pastoring them. We don't know. Uh, we can surmise, though, and probably guess and probably guess wrong. Give of yourself to these people and spiritually provide for them encouragement at your house, church, and encourage them in the word. Then you'll fully understand all the good things we have in Christ. So if you get together with people and fellowship and you're encouraging them with God's word, you're, you're privy to a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ, which means you're going you're gonna to feel good. You're not going to feel down. You're not going to feel awful. You're going to have God's peace, his power. You're going to look at a little heaven on earth for that time. It's a glorious thing. Now, I've got some people eating. Pastor, you didn't talk about eating. Why is there a picture of people eating? I'm emailing you tomorrow. This doesn't seem consistent. Well, often people in the first century served others one socioeconomic level down in the first century. So it was customary that if you're medium uh, uh, getting by and you, you would gather people to get together, what better place than a house church? And you would get them together and, and you would feed them because that was customary. Here's why. Here's why. Hospitality in this culture was everything. Hospitality was everything. Case in point, Jesus turned water into wine 
and not grape juice, it was wine, yes it was, at a wedding in Cana due to a great hospitality need. So what can Paul do to really minister to his small house church who's gathering for worship? What can he do besides just encourage them in the word? What can he do? Feed them, feed them, provide something. So that means for us, that means for us, some application today. I want peace, I want direction. Paul also uses koinonia and giving to others. 2 Corinthians 8.4, 2 Corinthians 9.13. Paul uses koinonia, the same word, in giving of your stuff, giving of your resources, okay, the tangible things, the things that we don't want to part with. Yeah, and it's like, it's like, here, ah, no, you don't need it, okay. Um, you know, it's like, yeah, that koinonia, sharing of gifts. So check this out. This means, for us, take someone out to eat. Look at the bottom and encourage them with God's word and prayer. A full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Do it. Do it. You say, no, it's too expensive. You see the prices here? And they are expensive. Uh, uh, treat people to a cup of coffee or iced tea. Have them just come over for that. Meet a need with people that involves yourself with them. Spending time with them. Not looking at the clock. Not looking at the, hey, you got six minutes. Got anything else to say? Five minutes, 45 seconds. <laughs> Hurry up. No, no, no. Giving up your time. And then your food or your, or your money, your resources to others. This is that text. This is that text in its, in its most brilliance that I can see as we translate. What's the payoff? A full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Okay, we must go on. Oh, my goodness. Pastor, I thought you were almost done. Now you put up like another 300 words? Are you kidding me? We go faster. We go faster. But you got to learn all of Philemon. I learned seven verses in Philemon. You didn't even learn the gist of what it was about. But that was the main tenet. There we go. Paul's plea for Onesimus. Who's Onesimus? The slave. Who is Philemon? What's that? Yeah, the boss, the house owner, uh, the church leader, meeting in his house. That's right. So Paul's now, remember he buttered Philemon up, all that positive things that went on my fridge, or probably on his fridge. Um, I don't think there was a fridge or a different kind of fridge at that time. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, Paul says. In his other letters, Paul expressed his apostolic authority. He didn't in this one, because this is to a person, not a church. This is to a person. So he said, I'm just going to love, go in the back door and just love that person. Okay, that's what we're seeing here. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus whose father I became in my imprisonment. Oh, I don't know how Onesimus found the Apostle Paul. If he went to Ephesus, because Paul was in jail in Ephesus, it was two, three, four day walk. If he went to Rome, it was a thousand miles. <laughs> Ephesus seems decent. Anyway, uh, we don't know. But uh, he found Onesimus, the runaway slave. He found the Apostle Paul, and Paul took him in. He took him in as his son. And he led him to Christ. 
He led him to Christ. We're going to find out. I'll give you something a little bit early. You go, oh, thanks. Will we be done early? No, no, no. Uh, I'll give you something a little bit early. Paul led Philemon to Christ. And you got to see what he does there. And he kind of tips the scale a little bit. It's still love, but it's like, okay. Um, I appealed you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. So Paul sees some good things in Onesimus. He sees he's got some skill, some skill. But you know what? He has to go back to his master. He has to make things right, and Paul knows that. Big thing. Big thing there. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? Oh my goodness. He wants Philemon to take him back and consider him a Christian brother, not a slave. So he probably, I don't know if he's going to get paid back if it was money that he took. He's going to lose a lot of service to himself because take him back as a Christian brother, no longer a slave. That, that's a different connotation. That's a different outcome. That's a different set of circumstances. So look what he says, he goes on. So if you consider me a partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, your, your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my hearts in Christ. And I think later he goes on to prepare a room for me. I'm coming to visit uh, and so forth. But let's take this next part um, just apart. A couple more slides before we close here. Jesus, we just want to pray again for this next call to action, so to speak, in terms of application. Because you have us come to worship you to learn your truth and then have it applied to our life. So we go, we go home much more satisfied than when we come to church. Help us again to do that in these next couple of slides, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. So as we go on and talk about verse 8 through 20, here we go. Paul wants Philemon to take back this slave and now accept him as a brother in Christ. Wow, sounds easy except for the money you're going to lose and the work you're not going to have done. Easier said than done. Paul has a convincing argument to Philemon saying that Philemon owes him his very life. Did you know it's funny? Because this is, this is kind of Jew to Christian to Roman rhetoric, but the Jewish rhetoric in the first century was like, yo, yo, and you don't have to have an Eastern accent. But I helped you move. I did it two weeks ago. I'm moving next week. You be there. I helped you. That was normal dialogue. 
That's how they worked. That's how they worked, and that's how they commune and uh, communicated together. So, so, so Paul, Paul's saying, hey, you owe me your life, dude. And uh, Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon. Is it correct for Onesimus to make his wrong right before Philemon, yes or no? Thumbs up if you say yes. Okay. So I just, I, it's funny because as a teacher, you know, if somebody doesn't go thumbs up or thumbs down or thumbs up, you go, well, I wonder what they're thinking about. But that's okay too. When, when I listen to myself after the message, I start thinking about other things. I mean, I bore myself sometimes. But anyway, uh, it's, just, it's just long. Is it correct for Onesimus to make his wrong right before Philemon? You said yes. Okay. Should Philemon forgive Onesimus? Yes. Yes, absolutely those things are true. And Onesimus should make right the wrongs. Otherwise, as Christians, it's like, hey, remember last week? Um, ended up taking your hose because I needed it. Um, yeah, sorry. Um, they're on sale at Walmart. You can get one. No, 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 no. God expects us in repentance to make that right. I'm going to get you another one. I'm going to get you a better one. He expects that. He expects that. If we want full blessing, walk in his full light, illuminated light, he knows our heart. So check this out for us. Are we like Philemon in that we have to extend forgiveness to someone right now? There's some, yeah, me too, right? All of us to some degree. So think about someone to extend forgiveness right now. Are we like Onesimus in that we need to apologize to someone for doing them wrong? You wouldn't believe it if you said, ah, that was trivial, that was nothing, they don't care. For your own sake and conscience, go and, and apologize and then walk away going, I feel godly, I feel heavenly, I feel, I feel illuminated. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. It's exhilarating. But our pride says, don't you dare, don't you dare. You were only, you were only wrong 3% of it. They're 97%. If you say you're sorry for that 3%, God, God will take it and multiply it. Don't think prosperity gospel. We don't go prosperity gospel, but you know what I'm saying. Okay, here we go. Paul says, whatever this slave has done in offense to you, charge it to my account, verse 18. Charge it to my account. Ooh, this is going to get juicy. Paul stands beside a guilty man. And said to the slave owner, I know this man is guilty and deserves punishment. However, this slave is my friend. So if you punish him, you're going to have to punish me also. I stand beside him to take his punishment. That's what Paul says. Who does that remind you of? Jesus. He's done that for you. And for me, if we know him and call him Lord, he's done that for us. So we can, we can, when we perish and we're called home, we can be at peace as a child of God, not a child of the world. Oh, so hey, the challenge. How will we be like Jesus to someone today and this week? Let's get our music team to... Come up, please. 
I don't like the lull in the action where I don't have anything to say and we're waiting. Even the wait time before the Lord, spiritually speaking, is a good thing. <laughs> How will we be like Jesus to someone today and this week? How will we fellowship with others and provide for them while ministering God's word to them? How will we do it? How will we do it? Remember, remember Philemon, his house church. How are we going to gather believers and pour into them and find blessing in that, the full understanding? And then look at this. How is it that first one will be like Jesus to someone uh, this week? How is it will extend forgiveness to someone or ask for their forgiveness because you've wronged them? How is it? There's got to be someone, there's got to be something that will help you experience the full goodness that we have in Christ Jesus. Do we desire to have a full understanding of every good thing in Christ? So as the music plays, would you stand, please? Gladly, huh? As the music plays, if you need to meet Christ for the first time, because you're going, what is this Christian biblical worldview? What is this Philemon house owner slave thing? Come forward and we'll condense it into like one paragraph and how Jesus is the, the catalyst, the conduit, the cornerstone, the capstone of making our relationship in this world makes sense, that's in Jesus. So if you need to come forward because you need a relationship with Jesus, come forward during this time. And if you say, no, I've got Jesus, leave me alone about that. If you need to come and pray at the altar, you and someone else, come do it now. It's your chance. If you say, no, don't need that either, okay. If there's somebody that you have something against that you have to make right, go to that person. Take your phone out and text them. Hey, you know that the extra food that you had left over for dinner that I know you wanted to keep that, that I really shouldn't have taken, but I did because I was really hungry and I felt selfish? I'm sorry. Get out your phone and text somebody if you need to apologize or seek somebody out for forgiveness. That's the immediate application. Because once we leave, it just goes away. It's like, yeah, I got to go to the grocery store. Stater Brothers has a sale on eggs. I'm going to get two dozen. Your mind just goes. Take care of it now if you want.